Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Happy St. Patrick's Day to you. You may say to yourself, I don't, I don't even know why we would be talking about St. Patrick's Day. Now remember, we're trying to bring the mind of Christ to bear on what's going on in the world, on the things that people are actually talking about. And so, yes, there are times that I will highlight a subject matter that is culturally relevant that you may say to yourself, huh, not relevant to me. I'm not Catholic. I'm not Irish. All right, so look around today and ask yourself, is this an opportunity for cultural engagement for me as a Christian? And my guess is yes. I was in a little grocery store over the weekend, and uh, there, I mean, I got to tell you, I was in a part of the country where, you know, not a lot of things blooming yet, not a lot of things in bud. Um, and people had in their little grocery carts these, these little green plants, and I commented on how nice that was. And one lady said, well, it, they're shamrocks. And I thought, oh, okay. See, pay attention. What are people up to? Why, you know, what's going on? Um, so St. Patrick's Day brings Ireland to mind or brings it at least into a focus for a day. I want you to think for a moment about what you think you know about Ireland and the Irish people um, and Northern Ireland, which is different and distinct from Ireland. Did you know that? Ireland uh, has been considered one of the most religious nations since the Middle Ages, so the very fact that we have a St. Patrick's Day uh, maybe should remind us of the history of Ireland and the profound power and presence of institutional Catholicism there. Ireland uh, has defined itself for generations as more traditionally Catholic than most other parts of Europe. Uh, the, the part of, of Ireland that we call just Ireland versus Northern Ireland, where Northern Ireland has about equal representation of Catholics and Protestants. But um, Ireland resisted the Reformation. And so it's just an interesting case study of post-Christian movement, because um, although Ireland resisted the Reformation, the Irish did not resist uh, like sweeping acquiescence to what could be called post-Christendom over the last 30 years. In, in 2018, the Pope visited Ireland, and you, you got to think to yourself, well, that, that must have been a great event for the Irish people who are overwhelmingly, at least on paper, Catholic. Um, but really what the Pope's visit to Ireland in 2018 exposed is just how radically departed from its Catholic and Christian roots uh, the nation uh, actually is. So the Washington Post in August of 2018 surrounding the Pope's visit to Ireland, uh, ran a headline that said, the last time a Pope visited Ireland, homosexuality was a crime. Now the Irish prime minister is gay. And it went on to to talk about, to chronicle um, the way that uh, uh, the Irish prime minister, Leo Vadrakar, um, serves, who had served as Ireland's health minister before becoming prime minister, you know, how he came out um, 
during a live radio broadcast uh, across the nation. Um, he was uh, advocating at that point in time for same-sex marriage and um, uh, and advocating that there be a, a repeal of what he viewed as the, the very restrictive abortion ban in, in their country. Um, the, uh, the prime minister actually said to the pope at the time um, that uh, – that we are, you know, we are a nation that is, uh, let me just read the quote directly for you. Um, our history previously as a people had too much. Uh, your, your religion, so he's talking here to the Pope, had too much of a dominant place in our society. Now, that takes some, uh, <clears throat> it takes a lot to be able to say that to the Pope. So in 2018, the Prime Minister of Ireland spoke directly to the Pope about how the Irish Parliament and the government had changed its policies, um, how they were moving enthusiastically in the direction of the legalization of same-sex marriage uh, by popular vote um, and in direct opposition to the teachings and beliefs of the Roman Catholic Church were legalizing abortion. And why bring this up on St. Patrick's Day? Because the very idea that a nation would have a patron saint seems like a relevant point for a nation that is so decidedly no longer Catholic, let alone Christian. Like it, it's a good day to talk about what it means to live a life that's sanctified. Why would someone call someone else a saint? Who are the saints in the scriptures? Remember Addison Bevere's book? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's about the fact that every Christian is a saint. Are we living like one? And you say, well, I can't. I could never live up to the, you know, to the Catholic category of a saint. That's not the point. Do you live up to the biblical standard of a saint? Are you in Christ? And are you every single day asking the Holy Spirit, and not just asking the Holy Spirit, but actively cooperating with the work of the Holy Spirit in your life to bring you into greater and greater conformity with Christ, that you would become more like Christ, more and more holy, um, set apart, sanctified. Sanctification is a process. Justification is an act. Sanctification is a process. And uh, and so this is a good day to talk about what it means to live like a saint and maybe what we could learn from uh, the patron saint of Ireland, St. Patrick, and then ask ourselves, you know, does a, does a country living so far from the gospel, like, what does it mean for them to have a patron saint? Yeah, good conversations for the day. All right, next up, Daryl Crouch. Uh, you know him as a pastor. We're going to talk about his transition to a wider ministry today. That's up next on Mornings with Carmen. All right, we love talking with Daryl Crouch, um, and I am going to let him uh, offer his new description for the first time for our mm-hmm. listening audience. Daryl, how do you want me to introduce you going forward? I, oh, it's great to be with you. You can really introduce me any way you want to, but I'm, I'll be the executive director for uh, Everyone's Wilson here in a few weeks, and so I'm finishing up at Green Hill Church and. Love our church, love pastoring, love local pastors, think the church is the hope for the world. And so I hope to help uh, some other churches uh, live on mission with Jesus and mobilize their people to do that in a way that uh, moves the needle in, in their own community. In our community, we've just seen God's favor. So we're pretty excited about the whole thing. So there, you know, there's this relationship that we have with our pastors, uh, you know, those of us who are members of, of congregations. And 
um, we think of our pastors as um, not only, you know, like spiritual advisors and guides, the person who most prominently teaches us the word of God, brings forth um, the will of God sort of into the matters of the day, helps us connect those those eternal realities with what's going on in our everyday lives. We also think of the pastor as the person who, you know, like we want to show up. We want that person to show up when um, crisis arrives at our door or in our home or in our heart. Um, and so those characteristics travel with you no matter, you know, what the what the position is that you're holding. And I think that as as the local church in the culture um, has in some ways been um, challenged to sort of find her feet in particular communities um, for particular reasons, there are these broader um, ministries, and I don't want to call them parachurch, but they are parachurch or they are broader than the local expression of a church. So could you just talk a little bit about the network of relationships that exist among Christians in a particular community, and you could talk about your particular community, and maybe that will cast a vision for other people to seek to strengthen the relationships between local congregations where they live. Yeah, so I appreciate that. I think the uh, the church is uh, again a wonderful the, the 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 way that God has established for us to reach the world and to make Him known and Jesus. Uh, loves the church and he is going to build his church and we're you know we're all about that and want to see that i think in local communities we're seeing as you mentioned that maybe a little hard for us to get our feet and some of the things you've described in ireland and uh that we see around the world um, the continued secularization of our communities and so on so in our particular community most people don't go to church i mean not just 51 percent, but pushing 80 percent of our community are really connected to no local church whatsoever. And so when we begin to look at that, I think all of our pastors, all of my pastor friends, all of our church uh, relationships, uh, we recognize that we've got more work to do and that there are some things that we can do together to unleash our people into the corners of our community where people live because they're not coming to our building any more than a lot of us would go to a uh, I don't know, uh, depending on your faith background, but uh, you're not going to go to a mosque or a Hindu temple uh, regularly. Um, so they're not coming to us regularly. And so uh, the question is, how do we mobilize modern day missionaries into every corner of our community? We're already there. The church is already in the areas of commerce and education, healthcare, and and so on. We're already there. How can we help encourage and unleash them? And so in our context, Carmen, we've just seen God's favor in the relationships that uh, pastors have with one another and churches have with one another. We are genuinely for one another because we know that uh, none of us uh, individually are making a huge dent in the overall population growth of our communities. And so um, I think we understand the need for one another, but we also understand the value that each of us brings that not everybody needs to be a part of my church. Uh, some people need to be a part of someone else's church because they're bent a little different. They're created a little different. Their their um, their their convictions are a little different on some issues. And so, we all are Jesus loving people, and we all believe in uh, historical Christian orthodoxy. But uh, there's some secondary issues that people may differ about and need to work out in a different way. And so, we don't see each other as um, as competitors. We we see each other as, as partners. And so I think that happens 
when pastors, and this is to cast a vision for other communities, as you mentioned, this is this happens when pastors become friends, mm-hmm. when we really build significant relationships with one another and get to know one another, uh, learn to like each other, and then grow to love each other deeply. And when that happens, I think a community can be awakened. Well, and that is our, our, our heart's desire, to see the church, you know, restored to her rightful place in the life of the world. And in order to do that, churches are going to have to be in relationship with one another to impact the culture. And uh, and that starts with relationships. And we just, you know, we appreciate, um, I appreciate your not only approach as a local pastor to this conversation, but then moving from that into leading the effort um, writ large, because I think that there are lessons there for all of us across the country. All right, let's take a very brief break. Daryl mm-hmm. Crouch and I are going to return. We're going to we're going to talk about living a life that makes a world of difference. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Christ be with me and with Christ behind me and before. Continue my conversation with Daryl Crouch. You can uh, you can find him at DarylCrouch.substack.com. Um, Daryl, let's talk about a post that you have there, and it's about um, how we as Christians and actually the church is designed to be this bridge of influence. Um, If you'll start with reading the Robert Lewis quote from the Church of Irresistible Influence and then um, bridge from there, I think that would be great. Yeah. So uh, years ago, I, I came across this passage, and so he says, unless the church rediscovers its primary role as a bridge builder, the incarnational power of the gospel will remain hidden and the credibility to reach a culture of cynical, experiential, and spiritual hungry souls will be lost. People will simply no longer listen or attend churches that seem incapable of living out what is preached. Bridges of influence, tangible and evident through the lifestyles of uh, and good works of believers are the only answer. So yeah, that passage um, and, and some of the the conversations around that passage have been so influential in my own life. And as I think about the world and in the church world, we kind of stay in a bubble if we're not careful. Uh, we have there's this pull to the insider. And so um, I think for us to learn how to uh, make our way into into our community, into these domains of influence, build bridges there and clear pathways because that one of the encouraging things to me, Carmen, is that there's already a lot of really good work going on in our communities. We don't have to create a lot of things. We just have to come beside people who are already doing good work and build in, uh, bridges to them, build pathways to them uh, so that uh, the good that they're doing can get to the good that other people need. And in that process, we get messy. Our hands get messy. Uh, relationships become um, you know, challenging as we build those and and because uh, people are hurting and people are broken. But as we do that, we bring the light of the gospel. We, we bring hope and healing. We, the power of the Holy Spirit is, uh, is in us and on us and working through us uh, as we uh, build uh, significant relationships and partnerships with people that aren't even in our churches yet. And so, uh, but yet they're doing good in our community for people who are uh, hurting. And uh, so I think partnership is, is super important in building bridges of influence and for us not to be afraid to partner with people who don't believe like us, partner with people who aren't um, following Christ yet. I think uh, partnerships uh, can can move us into these pockets of vulnerability that are so dark and so in need of the gospel. And along the way, 
we can help those serving as well. We can help the teacher. We care what the teacher is doing, for example, to educate kids, and we know she's got a lot of challenges uh, to do that because uh, those kids are are broken and coming from broken homes. But but she has challenges as well. She has marriage issues as well. She she has financial struggles as well. She has soul care that's needed as well. So in the process of helping kids learn to read and get where they need to be and minister to those kids' families that are broken, we can also minister those already doing really good work. And so as we build those bridges of influence, we find ourselves shoulder to shoulder, on our knees, in the dirt, tilling the soil with other people who need the hope of the gospel. Okay, Daryl, do you... um do you remember the children's song that has something to do with like the foot bones connected to the ankle bone, oh, yeah. ankle bones sure, connected to yeah. the, what do you, I, what song is that? Like I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, okay, I feel like that could be the song of yeah. St. So I'm trying to come up with, if we had a St. Daryl's day, cause it's St. Patrick's oh, no. day and that's only yeah. so much fun. Right. But if we had, let's just say we had a, we had a St. Daryl's day, would there be, maybe that would be the song. I'm just thinking like, right. Cause well, you seem like a, a connective yeah. tissue guy. Yeah, I, you know, I've never even thought of that, Carmen. So um, that, but that, if there's going to be a Saint Daryl, that would probably, yeah, be right. A, a that'd be a good song. song a children's song. A children's, a children's song would be appropriate. Yeah, that's and then right. would there be a color? Because you know, green <laughs> is the color of the day today. Would there be a color if we had a Saint Daryl's Day? Would there be a color? Oh, it's definitely orange. We're in big orange country around here, that's so good, yeah, right? that's It'd be that's orange. why we're. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, today awesome. people are looking for shamrocks, four-leaf clovers. Would St. Daryl's Day have have a have a flower or a plant or a tree, a bush? Mm-hmm. Would it have anything? This is, I'm not prepared for this interview. Carmen. I know. That's, uh, that's I know. really – I'm going to have to get back to my board <laughs> and, uh, and figure that out. Uh, that's okay, so, so good. Here, yeah, okay, that's St. Right. Daryl's Day. Let's do this. Yeah. Let's do this. Yeah. On St. Daryl's Day – Maybe Christ could be known in the breaking of the bread. We would have some shared fellowship meal on St. Daryl's Day. That sounds Absolutely. good, right? Coffees and lunches. That's what we do. Yeah. God. Yeah. Coffees Everything runs on the rails of relationships. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, I, you just, That's you have good. me, you always have me thinking about such good things. And I think that sometimes when we imagine, you know, gosh, what could I do to, you know, I don't just want to make a difference in the world. I want to make the world different. Some of us are wired that way. And it starts with what am I doing in the next moment in, in relationship to the person immediately in front of me or within earshot or who's overseeing or overhearing what I'm doing. It's not always in, you know, the the two trillion dollar gestures. Right. So it's, it is in the moment by moment lived shared lived experiences when we are with one another. Um, walking in the, in the realities of life. And that's where social justice happens. That's where real care happens. That's where the gospel is proclaimed. And it feels to me like that's the direction that you're trying to um, lead us. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think uh, we have been very attentive to the scorecard. You know, how, how many people are coming? Uh, what's, the, what's the metrics that give us significance for our lives? When our neighbors are sitting right next door, hurting and bleeding out, and uh, I had a friend of mine tell me that he had read that the uh, uh, one of the early church fathers had met the apostle John, you know, late in John's life, obviously, and all John was talking about was loving one another, mm. and um, I think um, I think that's a powerful reminder that in the end of the day. It's how well we love our neighbors that gives expression to the gospel. 
certainly uh, gives us opportunity to share the gospel, invite them to follow Jesus with us. Uh, and so if, but if we're not willing to stop long enough and love them and not worry about, did I accomplish anything today? Or, or does my life have meaning because of all the things I got done and checked off my list? Um, these people are not projects. They, these, these people are humans made in the image of God. And I know that the people who have meant the most to me have been, been the people that took time uh, to uh, walk with me and reach out to me and give me a phone call and say, hey, let's have lunch and let's, let's do this together. And so uh, and, and the, they've not always been the most accomplished corporate leader or, or church leader or the most uh, affluent person that I know, but they have taken time with me. And so I think if we learn to do that and to love one another, um, then the gospel has a, has a, has a pathway on which it can, it can be expressed and be uh, met uh, with open arms. And so we, we don't want to stop. I mean, we're, we're not um, marginalizing in any way gospel proclamation. Matter of fact, we're, we're trying to, to be a megaphone for gospel mm-hmm. proclamation in the way that we love one another. And so if we can put people together, and one of the reasons that we don't, I think, is because of the scorecard that we keep for ourselves and uh, for our churches, for that matter. And uh, the things that we celebrate are not always the things that are on the heart of God. Mm-hmm. I just love it. So, Daryl, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. We look forward to our next uh, conversation. Daryl's making a transition. You can check out Everyone's Wilson at, is it everyoneswilson.com? It's .org, everyoneswilson.org or uh, my Substack. yeah. There you go, everyoneswilson.org. That's where he's headed. All right, we'll be right back. Jim Dennison, founder of the Dennison Forum, um, he posts every single day on the on the exact same kinds of things that we talk about here um, on the program. I love talking with him and catching up with him periodically. And so um, today, what Jim and I are going to talk about is how do we address and engage in grace and love, even as the culture around us continues to continues to devolve further and further from the revealed will of God. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I hear from a lot of concerned parents who feel their teenage girls dress too seductively. They wonder how to deal with the issue of modesty when young ladies are pressured to show off their physical attributes. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Teens today live in a world of sexual innuendo, where outward packaging and presentation is all important. And if your teen jumps on the bandwagon, it doesn't necessarily mean that her character is flawed. It just means she might be following a fad. My advice to parents is this. Don't flip out when your daughter is just trying to fit in. Rather, calmly and consistently address the more important issue of modesty. Then, make sure she understands that your family values won't be compromised, no matter how cool the fad. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find encouragement through articles, books, and more at parentingtodaysteens.org. All right, Jim Dennison is back. He's the founder of the Dennison Forum. You can find what we're talking about today and so much more at denisonforum.org. Jim, welcome back. Carmen, so glad to be on with you today. Happy St. Patrick's Day to you. 
Happy St. Patrick's Day. I feel like you have something to say about um, what we could learn from St. Patrick today. Well, in fact, I wish I could do it with an Irish accent. I really have tried, but I'm just not good at it. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll forego that. Uh, yeah, our listeners will be grateful for that. So, yeah, we, you know, we think about green beer and rivers and all that sort of thing. But there's an actual St. Patrick born in 389 or so in Britain. He was enslaved at the age of 16 in Ireland, eventually comes to faith in Christ, gets back to England. God gives him a burden for the Irish people. He spends seven years in Bible study, goes back to Ireland as a missionary, founds 200 churches, wins 100,000 people to faith in Christ, withstands 12 attempts on his life, died on this day in 461, which is why this is St. Patrick's Day, but he founded a movement. In fact, Thomas Cahill's book, How the Irish Saved Civilization, shows that generations after St. Patrick, what he started eventually brought civilization back to Europe. We're all descendants of St. Patrick, and we can follow his example today. I think the fact that we celebrate him on the day he died is also interesting. So many other people, we celebrate them on the day they were born. Um, but I think that, you know, if you're a believer, the the day that you die and get to go be with Jesus full time, you know, in the full presence, all uh, all the time forever, you know, there's something worth celebrating about that. And I don't think we often think about death in that way. So I'm glad you I'm glad you noted that um, today is the day upon which he died uh, is significant. Okay, it really is. Yeah. yeah thank let's you for talk that. about. Absolutely. Let's talk about. Um, you know, uh, this is not like an article. This is like a way of thinking about things. This is about um, how we address and engage a culture that continues to devolve, particularly on the on, on the sexual front, sexual identity or relational front. Um, we're dealing with cities across the country now em- embracing um, provisions for polyamory. We, uh, you know, we've we're all hot on the heels of news from the Vatican that, you know, same sex uh, relationships uh, are not OK. Um, and then we have very, very high profile, let's say, American journalists. I'm thinking of one on CNN um, who basically very publicly condemned the pope, the Vatican, Catholics, Christians in general. Um, I mean, like, if you believe these things, then you are, uh, you know, sort of like not welcome at his table. I just it's a very interesting time that in which we're living. How can we as Christians engage with grace and love in a season of cultural devolution? Yeah, thank you. First of all, we need to do what you just said. Our first desire is to do that. It's not to withdraw, to retreat, to keep salt in the salt shaker, or to condemn those who disagree with us as the enemy. The enemy is is Satan. He's the spiritual enemy. Our opponents are not our enemies. In fact, Scripture speaks of those that are that are being deceived in this culture, which is really the case. So, like St. Patrick, we need to be missionaries to a culture that may not want us, that may see us as oppositional when we're really speaking the truth in love. So that's the first step, is to pray for that Lord teach me how to be salt and light. Teach me how to speak the truth in love. Teach me how to take the good news of your grace into a culture that rejects your word and therefore especially needs your word. That's where we start. Um, and then everyone's asking right now, like in their in their heart of hearts, okay, I'm, I'm praying. I think I'm willing. I'm definitely scared. Um, there are going to be social costs to doing this. Uh, prepare us for that. Like when you say, you know, I'm I'm going to enter in like St. Patrick did. He spent seven years studying the Bible before he sought to reach the Irish people for Christ. There's something about our lack of preparation or our sense that we're unprepared, even though maybe we are. 
And it's both, isn't it? The first side is genuine. I can't give what I don't have. I can't lead people where I'm not willing to go. I don't have the courage it takes. I don't have the compassion it takes to stand up for Jesus in a culture like this without the power of the Holy Spirit. So the most important single thing we can do is what you're focusing on right now, Carmen. Ephesians 5.18 says to be filled with the Spirit. It means to be controlled with the Spirit. It's a daily decision. You start the day by getting off the throne, asking Jesus to be on the throne, literally saying, Holy Spirit, fill me, control me, empower me, give me the right words to say, lead me where I need to go, use me for your glory, make me what you want me to be today. It starts with that submission to the Lord that says, Father, I'm not who I need to be, make me who I need to be, and then stepping up by faith, knowing that God has answered your prayer, and believing that he will use you to plant seeds you'll never sit under, and to spend this day for his eternal glory. You know, if we would enter each day um, like that and acknowledging that God has, in fact, prepared good works in advance for us to do, and our only obligation is to show up um, as his agents of grace, ambassadors of his kingdom, and be who he has already uh, transformed us to be in Christ, like let the Holy Spirit use us in those moments. I think, Jim, you know, the reality is we get in the way. We, the, the, the me, I get in the way of the Holy Spirit doing what could happen in any given moment, uh, in any given relational experience. So do I. I. I would say, in fact, I've often said that self-sufficiency is spiritual suicide. The great challenge of our culture is this self-sufficient, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, look out for number one. We honor these people as heroes. We we venerate the self-made individual, right? Well, in the Spirit of God, in the kingdom of God, it's the exact opposite. It's the more yielded, the more surrendered to the Spirit, the more usable by the Holy Spirit we are. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Not you could be, not you might be. Right now, those listening to us right now, Carmen, are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. The key is to be so surrendered to the Holy Spirit that he can use us in ways we can't imagine being used. Heard an analogy for that some years ago that really stuck with me. When we have a chance to stand up for the Lord, we kind of feel like we're on trial, like the person we're talking to is the prosecutor trying to find what's wrong with us. Actually, Jesus is on trial. Satan is the prosecutor. The Holy Spirit's the defense attorney. The person you're talking to is the jury. You're just called to the stand. Your job is Mm. to say what you know as the Holy Spirit leads you. The verdict is not up to you. Your job is simply to be faithful and trust the results to God. Okay, that is excellent. I I am going to go back and listen to that again when this is posted as a podcast so that I can take better notes. Um, Mm. But that is is excellent. That is so, so good. Um, Talk with us about engagement, cultural engagement with this idea of invading with the story of Christ. What are you talking about there? It's Jesus' commandment to us to go and make disciples of all nations. It's it's the incarnational motive that really is at the heart of the gospel, where we couldn't get to God, so God came to us. Religion is us climbing up to God. Christianity is God climbing down to us and now calling us. Jesus says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. There's this impulse of going to the culture. The example that comes to mind always for me is in Israel. I've led more than 30 trips to Israel. My favorite thing to do is to take people to the Holy Land. So we go to the gates of hell. It's at Caesarea Philippi. It's an actual place. It's a massive cave. It at one point had a spring that went so deep into the earth that the ancients could measure the depth. So they called it the gates of the underworld or the gates of Hades, the gates of hell. In front of it was a temple to the worship of Caesar. Next to it, a temple to the worship of Zeus. 14 temples to Baal around the area. The most hedonistic, horrific, sexually immoral stuff you can imagine right there. Jesus takes his disciples there 
not to Jerusalem at the temple, not to Capernaum at the synagogue, right there, and it's right there, he says, here on this rock, I will build my church. And pointing at the gates of hell, he says, the gates of hell will not withstand its assault. We are called to attack the gates of hell in the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing how the story ends. At the end of the day, we win. Jim Dennis and I are going to return to this conversation in just a moment. We're going to uh, touch a little bit on the Equality Act because Jim's got some resources posted that um, I want you to have your hands on. I'm also going to ask him to share with us what Don Lemon actually said on CNN and why we should care. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, we're just going to let uh, listener Lori know that we're praying for you right now, uh, that you would be strengthened for the day which lies ahead, and appreciate your willingness to be engaged in the culture um, as God would use you today. Continuing my conversation with Jim Dennison, founder of the Dennison Forum, you can find him at denisonforum.org. Let me tell you, you, you guys often ask me, like, uh, how do you do what you do? How do you aggregate all the stuff that you aggregate? How do you sort of get your mind around what we're going to talk about for the day? One of the daily resources that I rely upon is called The Daily Article. Um, it is by uh, Dr. Jim Dennison, my guest right now, and you can find it by going to denisonforum.org and actually subscribing. So you can get it Monday through Friday. You can get the Saturday summary. I get them all. Um, so if you were to read today's daily article or watch the video or listen to it, like they, they do it in, in, in all the ways. If you were to uh, pull that up, you would see... Uh, this lead, Don Lemon condemns Vatican's stance on same-sex marriage, why St. Patrick is a hero we need to emulate today. So we've talked a little bit about the St. Patrick part. Let's now talk about the Don Lemon part. What is, what's going on here, Jim? Yeah, Carmen, so it was on Monday. Don Lemon, he's a CNN commentator, pretty well-known, made news last year with his announcement that Jesus, quote, was not perfect when he was here on this earth. He says he grew up Baptist and was in the Catholic Church at one point, now has kind of a nebulous faith in God. Well, he on Monday, he is, he is himself gay. In fact, he's engaged to be married to a man right now. On Monday, he condemned the Vatican's refusal to bless same-sex marriages, and here was his statement. He said that the Catholic Church, other churches should, quote, re-examine themselves and their teachings because they that is not what God is about. God is not about hindering people or even judging people, said Don Lemon. Interesting to me that Lemon believes he can dictate theology to the Catholic Church. We can talk about that, but there's a larger story behind it as well. Yeah, I and then I think that the other part that um, maybe is just so striking to me is that, and maybe this shouldn't surprise me, Jim, Don Lemon's not the only person who views themselves as in a reasonable position to uh, wag their finger um, and speak down to, condemn, chastise the Pope and the entire uh, Roman Catholic Church. And then I think as Protestants, like, we're kind of like, yeah, well, it's, you know, her. Well, but here's the problem. Like, we're talking about <laughs> institutional Christianity here. We're talking about um, we're not just talking about Roman Catholicism and the stance of the Roman Catholic Church. We're actually talking about what God has revealed in creation itself and certainly what he has revealed in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments in terms of his design for human life and human relationships and the flourishing of families and, and society writ large. Like this is, um, uh, there's something going on here that is bigger than one person saying the Catholic Church is wrong. 
It's exactly right. And it's about something that goes to the heart of what the Bible speaks to as regards humanity itself. The larger story behind this is what in theological or academic terms is called postmodernism. It's the idea that truth is personal, individual, and subjective, that your mind interprets your senses and the result is knowledge to you. Your mind's different from mine. Your sense is different from mine. It goes back to Immanuel Kant and Friedrich Nietzsche and a lot of postmodern thinkers, Foucault, Derrida, and so forth. But the idea in our culture today is that Don Lemon's right. God is who you think God is. Reality is what you believe reality is. And if you say God is not a God who judges, then for you, that must be truth. That must be your truth, as we say. You have no right to force your beliefs on me. Well, we don't do that in any other area of life. A man once said to me, I don't believe in hell, as though therefore hell doesn't exist. If I say I don't believe in Canada, does that mean Canada doesn't <laughs> exist? If I say I don't believe in the Queen of England, does that mean the Queen of England doesn't exist? But we think in our culture, we, it's this deception we have, that we can dictate who God is, what God is, and how we're going to relate to God, and there's no consequence to that kind of subjectivism. That's the larger lie that Don Lemon is really reflecting that so many millions of people believe today. Okay, and then there are people listening right now who say, well, you know, obviously Canada exists. I've been there. Um, I think we resist acknowledging and recognizing the points at which we swim in the waters of postmodernism. And so I'm going to, I'm going to tread as gently as I can here into a topic um, where, you know, we're going to talk about sexual ethics and we're going to talk about sexual practices. And if you're listening right now and you're saying to yourself, well, I don't think same sex marriage is right, or I, I don't see any problem with same sex marriage. Um, the confusion of the culture is, uh, gets to us when we don't consider the baby in the womb a baby. Like reality touches on these conversations um, very, very personally. Or when we think that my my experience, my happiness is more important than um, than the life of another person and God's plan for them. Like that, we are postmodern in the way that we interact on many, many things. Is that fair to say, Jim? Absolutely true. We all live in this air. We breathe this air. It's really the cultural DNA of our day. That's why we start every single day by getting alone with the Lord and asking the Spirit, as we said, to take control of our minds and our lives. Help us think biblically. Help us to process culture through Scripture rather than Scripture through culture. Help us to be like the men of Issachar that understood the times and knew what Israel should do, and, and the church in Berea that searched the Scriptures to see whether these things were so. It's a daily decision we make to look at culture through the lens of revelation and not the other way around. I'm just as guilty as anybody else. It's a daily discipline to ask the Spirit to help us to have the mind of Christ. And, and I think that as we approach the conversations of the day in that way, we are less likely to be seen as the people who are then self-righteously wagging our fingers at others and therefore, you know, absolutely legitimately called hypocrites. Like, it's important for us as Christians to enter into these conversations recognizing that you know, there but for the grace of God go I. Like, we are talking about a cultural captivity. We are talking about delusion and confusion. Um, and maybe we have to hold conversations about the Equality Act for next time. But I really appreciated the resources that you posted on that topic um, in today's daily article. So I wanted to highlight that for folks as well. 
Well, thank you. We are beggars helping beggars find bread. I heard a story in high school that stayed with me ever since. So you're in a cave. The cave, there's a cave in. You're trapped in the depth of this cave. You can't get out. You're digging. You're you're yelling for help. You're trying to move rocks out. You're trying to get out. You look off in the far distance. There's a pinprick of light. Make your way over there. It's a way out. You go back to the other people in the cave. Some will believe you. Some won't. Those that don't believe you stay back in the cave and they're trapped. Those that believe you go to the light and they escape. You're no better than anybody else. You're no different than anybody else. The light's available to everybody. You just chose to trust the light. Now it's your job to invite others in the cave to trust the light as well. Again, beggars helping beggars find bread. We do this in a spirit of grace because we have received grace. That's the key to, I think, sharing the good news of God's love in the spirit of God's love. Hmm. Jim Dennison, as always, thank you so much. Want to encourage listeners to check out denisonforum.org. I'm going to recommend you subscribe to the daily article because it's it's just great. It's excellent. So thank you for it. Thank you, Carmen. So glad to be on with you today. Absolutely. All right. Hey, we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, it is. Uh, we are marching toward Easter. We are in the season of Lent, and so we thought it would be fun here at Faith Radio to uh, read the Gospel of Mark together in the lead-up. So you can go to myfaithradio.com, and you can join us in our Gospel of Mark reading starting this Saturday, March the 20th. Go ahead and go to myfaithradio.com and read through the Gospel of Mark with us. Um, just actually in the next few weeks, like it's a, it's a pretty quick read. It's an excellent book. If you haven't read the Gospels lately, like it's a really good opportunity to get back to the basics. Some of you are texting in, hey, I'd never you know, like even heard the kinds of things that Jim Dennison is talking about in terms of what the Bible says about God's good design for relationships and sexuality. Well, we've done a poor job talking about it, and uh, and maybe we've not read the scriptures often enough. Maybe we haven't read what Jesus has said in the blessing of marriage, in confirming Uh, what Genesis has to say about God's good design, making us male and female in his image and giving us marriage as a blessing, not just uh, for ourselves and for the next generation of people who would be born in the context of monogamous heterosexual marriage, but but everybody else. Like, it's for the good of the flourishing of society. Uh, And so let's get back into the Word of God, that the Word of God might get into us in order that it might then also get out there into the world that God so loves. So join us in our reading through the Gospel of Mark starting this Saturday, March the 20th. You can sign up at MyFaithRadio.com. We're going to send you a Bible bookmark, um, probably email it to you at this point. Uh, to So you've got one to know what we're reading and track with us every single day. Where in the Word are you today? We are headed into the Gospel of Mark. we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.